You remember where you were on September 11th? 20, I do. 21? I do. 20, 21. 2001? I do. I, I do. You we got producers in the studio who were not alive <sighs> then. I found that out today. It was a harsh reality. Yeah. <laughs> you were like, what? Yeah. 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 I realize I'm old now. Ugh. Good Monday evening, Pastor Toby Chuck Knox. I'm the Water Boy. It's good to be with you on Cross. Oh no, Paul you did. Oh, you, you know what? Hey boys, you just ruined this. Is that, is that some Presbyterian goodness? Presbyterian Reformation oh. tobacco. Look wow. at God. This is this is from our boy Zach. In Coeur d'Alene. Oh, this smells good. Zach in Coeur d'Alene. Zach and his wife and kids came down to King's Cross yesterday for church, and he said afterwards, like, hey, um, uh, guys, uh, on Cross Pop, you guys smoke in the uh, pipe, <laughs> pipes ever, ever? I haven't seen you on the show and, do it. And, and, I, and I said, yes, we do. He says, I'm, uh, I brought some down. Can I, can I bring it to you? I said, yeah, just wow. put wow. it in the offering tray. That's right. This is a Presbyterian church. <laughs> Actually, I said, don't put it in the offering tray. The deacons will steal it. I know. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Hey, thanks so much, Zach. Appreciate you. Thank you, that brother. That is awesome. Does he have a website? Uh, no, I think he bought it for he us. Just bought it, it, was, for it wasn't it. his. Okay. Even, he just... Presbyterian Reformation Danish Flake Pipe yeah, Tobacco. He says good. He says really good. So, awesome. Anyways, wow. thank you. Hey, y'all. Fight Laugh Feast Conference is only weeks away in Knoxville, Tennessee, October 6th through the 8th. The topic of the conference is lies, propaganda, storytelling, and the serrated edge. Swing. Come, you could just record it. No, 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 no. I, I no. guess it's more it's fun timing. to have you do this yeah. every time. Huh? Absolutely. Come learn how to Dougie with Pastor Doug Wilson. Teach me how to Dougie. Teach me how to Dougie. I'm sorry, I, I said that, Pastor Wilson. <laughs> Seemly and sanctified sex with George Gilder, which I'm really excited about. Yeah. And mm-hmm. the uh, the real world, Narnia or Game of Thrones. Actually, um, it's Narnia versus. Game of Thrones. Well, I told you to preview this. It's By sure I me. <laughs> By me. By me. That's true. Late, late breaking talk. Actually, I was working on it today, and I'm excited about it. Um, I, it's going to be hard to cram everything I want to say. Yeah. We, if we need to give you extra time, yeah, you minutes. just let us know. You just let us know. Um, I want that time. And, and because we believe your kids are part of the covenant, we'll have fun things there for them too, like jumpy castles. Yes. <laughs> Sign up to attend with you and yours or become a vendor today. At fightlaughfeast.com. I can't tell you how many actually cool vendors we got coming out yeah. to the conference we'll this try. year. I, I mean, I just met with one this morning. No, we got can't our, even our, tell corporate, our corporate partners that are going to be out there. Yeah. It's just going to be uh, uh, all around. How great much more money? Hey, have you talked about the one day pass yet? The one day pass? No, we have not. You need we to can talk bring it about up. the one day, one day pass. pass. Link's actually live. We can send it out today. It's after live the show. and we haven't talked about no, it. No, we haven't. Oh, shame um, on you. Uh, for those who can't make the conference, but could make Saturday. Right, they can't uh, make the whole thing. You can't make the whole thing, but can't make Saturday. It's it's ninety nine dollars, and you can go. I need to put it up on the website, but the link will be live uh, at tonight when the show's live. Um, uh, and you can go come on for the website Saturday. And come for Saturday, ninety nine dollars. Get like yeah. three talks and the live show and the live show, and you can hang around with the Sabbath dinner. Yeah, um, oh, yeah, and, right. and Pastor Doug's giving a talk Saturday morning. Saturday morning, I'm giving the the Narnia, Jared Longshore Narnia versus Game of Thrones, yep. and Longshore's coming at That's you. That's right, serrated and, and then we got the Cross Politic Live Show with Jason Megan Whitlock. with Megan Basham and uh, Basham. And Jason, Jason Whitlock. Whitlock. Looking I mean, forward to that. Yeah, Saturday's going to be a great show. $99. So, Come on. So if you can just make it for Saturday, yeah. half price. And uh, and go to fightlaughfeast.com, click on Saturday co- event, and you'll see the Saturday pass up there. And, and you can oh, live stream if you become a club, club member, too. So uh, September 11th, 2001. I don't, yeah. I don't want to keep wanting to say 2021. Um, dyslexia. That's what it is. Sure. Yeah. Um, I remember I was in Colorado mm. uh, when when that happened. Wow. Mm. And uh, working up in the mountains, doing construction up in the mountains, and it was it was just a, a real eerie 
I, what happened is just so unreal in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And then I remember uh, the next day, my uh, uh, my foreman on the job was just pissed because you know more details f- came went out. Back to started, work the next day. Yeah, yeah. I mean, oh. you, when you're up in the mountains, this is what you do. Okay. Um, and and because more details come out, everyone can kind of had figured out. Okay, this is actually what would ha- happen to us when it's we had a terrorist attack. attack and all that stuff. Right. And I remember him. He went a Christian man, but he's like, uh, uh, next one I see, I just want to. Jump on him like a tiger and gouge his well, eyes out. You know, I mean, like, whoa, yeah. whoa. you know, so that's problematic. Some some serious uh, pent up reaction, yeah, uh, there and all this. But what's what's crazy to me is the is the memory loss. Yes, that even those who are alive like us, right now, our producers and stuff, they weren't they weren't alive when right. this happened. But right. even like our generation was alive when it happened. The memory loss that's already occurred, right? And then how the media? Did you guys just watch how the media was talking about? This whole they were comparing nine eleven to January six. Yeah, I actually saw David Bonson. He retweeted this is which is where I found this particular tweet from, which says this guy's he's Kirsten a contributor. Yeah, he's a contributor yep. on MSNBC, I believe. Come on, you're, you're bringing shame on all the Snells I know. <laughs> <laughs> They're gonna find yeah, you out, buddy. Fine. September eleven was a terrorist attack. January six was a terrorist attack. And so when I first saw the tweet, I was like, eh, it's a stupid tweet. Whatever. Yeah. I, I don't. Right. Too much care about it. He yeah, had yeah. a lot of retweets. Because people, people do they tweet say stupid things. Su- stupid things all the time. Zeros and ones. <laughs> right. <laughs> but then all of a sudden, uh, go, doing the production, I looked up and saw, was it Meet the Press? And it was um, Face the Nation. And both shows had something very similar. Today is September 11th. It was 21 years ago that we were attacked by foreign terrorists. Not quite 20 years after 9-11, the Capitol came under attack from domestic terrorists. Wow. I remember, as most Americans do, where they were on 9-11. The stunning thing to me is here we are 20 years later, and the attack on the symbol of our democracy was not coming from terrorists, but it came from literally insurgents attacking the Capitol on January 6th. <laughs> but, oh, so, my goodness. So the comparison is, like, first of all, the only reason that this is getting— I wasn't upset that they were saying stupid stuff. I expect people to say stupid stuff. Especially but, Democrats. But what they know is that a people who have very short-term memories, that they have the ability to retell the story and control the narrative to where, you know, you probably won't get some folks like us believing it, but you'll get a large majority say, well, that was terrorism and this is terrorism. So I can see the comparison of the two. Right, right. But, but just quickly, if you look at what 9-11 was and you look at the people who jumped into those planes and took over those planes to fly them into buildings right. and then to take the same people who really do care about American democracy that showed up there at the yep. Capitol yep. and you take that small fraction of those people, right? Very small fraction. They came nowhere. Millions of they didn't even come close, no. anywhere close to what happened on 9-11. Right. Shouldn't even be a comparison anywhere right. there. Right. But the reason that they are telling this story is to get people to do what we all did on 9-12. September 12th was a very sobering moment. I remember no one honked at each other on the roads. People yeah. were so kind. Everybody all of a sudden had yeah. been baptized in Imago Day. <laughs> they, they had, you know what I mean? They, yeah. they really did care about the image of God. They cared about their neighbor and they were acting that way. And right. it was because of that type of attitude. We were all angry at that moment. And yet at the same time, we, we all were loving each other and cared yeah. about our nation. Right. And because of that, we were we, able to be manipulated. Mm. We didn't think very well mm. about... The whole process, we just said, whatever it takes to get done, I'll join the military, mm-hmm. you pass the laws, you pick the target, let's go right now. Yep. And we didn't 
chill and say, let's think about this whole situation. Let's plan. We were emotionally ready to be taken advantage well, of. Well, I remember looking at just uh, social media and a bunch of our of supporters and listeners and club members were talking about how they had signed up to serve because of 9-11. I, a lot of my friends did. A lot yeah. of our, yeah. yeah and so, but so uh, not, remember 9-11 is important. And also remembering 9-12, remembering that we were in a place that they can do things with our emotions that they shouldn't have been able to do if we were thinking properly about the moment. It seems like, though, that's that's a uh, that's what happens when we've already set ourselves up to have foolish leaders, foolish and wicked leaders. Yeah. Because there's moments like that where you find yourself, everybody's in the foxhole, just got shot at. Yeah. yeah. And, you're, and, and what you do in that moment, I mean, obviously, you, everyone's still responsible for their own choices, but yeah. you immediately, your instinct is to look to your leaders. What do we do now? Yeah. You look to your captains. Yeah. You look to your generals. And when you've been trundling along, electing fools and wicked yeah. men for your leaders, yeah. um, then they're the ones that say, well, what we need to do is have a Patriot Act. A pantheistic, polytheistic yeah. worship service mm-hmm. in the National Cathedral and call on all the false gods. Which is what happened right. September what 14th. George W. Bush did. Yep. Yeah, um, and we all should have stopped for a moment and said, wait, 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 wait. No, yeah. don't do that. Right. <laughs> right. That's going to call down judgment on us. Right. You know, one of the things that I think is super important is to remember the event itself. Right. So a lot of times people think they remember stuff about the event. No, no, remember the event itself. So I want to play just a little clip of the event itself. Okay. Yeah. On the morning of Tuesday, September the 11th, 2001, 19 men boarded four internal flights out of Boston, Washington, and Newark with a common aim, to hijack the planes and use them as deadly weapons of mass destruction. The first plane, an American Airlines Boeing 767 with 92 passengers and five hijackers on board, crashed into the North Tower of the World Trade Center in New York at precisely 8.46 local time. Something, somebody hit uh, the World Trade Center or the... It's a trade center. The World trade, trade Center. center. Shortly afterwards, at 9.03, another Boeing 767, oh. this time flown by United Airlines, with 65 passengers and a further five hijackers on board, smashed into the South Tower, as millions around the world watched in fascinated horror as the images oh were captured God. live on TV. God. That looks like a second plane. Right oh, there's another one. Another plane just hit. <gasps> right. Oh. oh, my God. Another plane has just hit. It hit another building. Oh. oh my goodness! There's another it one. It seems to be on purpose. Oh my goodness! Is that now a you. Plane? Now it's obvious. Then in Washington at 9:43, an American Airlines Boeing 757, I've never seen that with 64 people and another five hijackers aboard, crashed onto the Pentagon building. The impact blew a massive hole in the western facade of the Defense Ministry building. At 10:06, a fourth plane, the United Boeing 757, carrying 44 passengers and four hijackers, came down in a field near Shanksville, Pennsylvania. The hijacker's target was never clear. With a flying time of just a further 20 minutes to Washington, it has been suggested it was on course for the Capitol or even the White House. What is known, however, is that some of the passengers who had learned of the twin tragedies in New York on their mobile phones overpowered the hijackers. The twin towers of the World Trade Center crumbled like a pack of cards in a deluge of debris and dust. North Tower followed at 1028. Oh my God, there it goes! I hope I live. I hope I live. It's coming down on me. And there, as you can see, perhaps the second tower, the front tower, the top portion of which is collapsing. Good Lord. The attacks were eventually claimed by Al-Qaeda, at the time a little-known Islamic terror group. 
and cost the lives of 2,979 people in the plains and on the ground, mm. 2,750 of them in New York alone. So if you are in your 20s, you don't remember America before that moment. No, no. Right? You don't remember that America, America before that moment. I just realized that I wanted to have my kids. They're going to start doing this this summer. I think we need to do this. I think everybody's family need to do this in some sense. I want my kids this summer to write a paper about the 20 years before they were born. Hmm. I want them to catalog what happened 20 years before they got here so that they could understand the world that they entered into. And then the next summer after that, I want them to do a paper on the 40 years before they got here. Mm -hmm. Because it's important that they understand the world that they entered, that it didn't start when they got born, when they were born. It started before that. And then <laughs> part of this is that I want to keep tracking that back so they understand that God has been telling a story through history yeah. before they ever arrived right. yeah. and that they are a part of that story and how they need to act and engage knowing the past so that they can make wise decisions about the future. Right. Because I'm listening, I'm talking to some of the 20 year olds now and some that are even 30 who don't remember this moment. These are people mm -hmm. who are now out of college. Mm -hmm. These are people who are making decisions and writing policy. Who are voting. Who are voting. Yeah. They have no understanding about the past. Right. And when you don't understand how the, the past and that had to be tethered to it, then somebody can tell you a different history, a different past, and right. take you wherever it is they right. want you to go. Right. When, when Meet the Press is trying to make an analogy, draw an analogy between 9-11 and January 6th, it should be the kind of thing that just makes people guffaw laugh. and laugh. Yeah. Like, it should, absolutely. You, like, who, who is paying these people's salaries? Who is allowing this to be on, on, on TV? Yeah. It's absolutely ridiculous. If you know your history, it actually fortifies you That's right. with the truth. That's right. Um, and this is actually one of the reasons why we're doing the conference on storytelling. Yeah. That's right. Um, storytelling is one of the most important things we do. We tell the true stories of history. That's right. Because we're telling the way the world really is. And then also we tell, we love to tell stories that imitate that, that story, yeah. um, stories that, that celebrate the way that God made the world. And the whole point of it is it, it is fortifying you to know basically what, what is, what is actually possible in this world? Yeah. What is true about this world and the one who made this world? Um, if you don't have good stories, the history itself the biblical story That's itself, right. if you don't have good, true, and lovely stories, you will fall for anything. Yeah. The propaganda will get you. The lies will get you. I mean, that's what that is. That's propaganda. That's exactly what's, what's going what on is. in that yeah. meet, the, meet the press. Yeah. And we need to spot those lies, call them out for what they are, and not be persuaded by them at all. Rory Groves is up next. Hey, durable durable trades. trades. There's so much more to talk about on this subject. But I'd like to talk to him about durable trades and 9-11. If there's anything that we could have learned from 9-11 about durable trades, I don't know. Maybe he'd know. <laughs> more cross politics coming up next. Hi, I'm Robert Borton, CEO of Classical Conversations, the world's largest classical Christian homeschooling community. I'm launching a new podcast, Refining Rhetoric. If you like cross politics or just listen to hear what crazy stuff they're saying today, you will enjoy Refining Rhetoric. You can find us on your favorite podcast platform. I practice the 15 tools of learning by interviewing great guests, looking at current events, and talking about cryptocurrency. Home. It's where you build your legacy, where traditions are started, seeds are planted, meals are shared, and stories are told. We are Chris and Natalie Carpenter, owners of Story Real Estate, and our team of top agents helps people find homes in Moscow, Idaho, and around the country. Have you thought about a move? Contact us to get connected with a top agent who shares your values and puts your family first. Or reach out to us about our Moscow Relocation Guide. 
Wherever you're looking to go, we can help you find home. Call us at Story Real Estate or visit us at storyrealestate.com and start building your legacy. So much to say about 9-11 and what's going on now in our, yeah. our time. Yep. We'll have to hit that some other time. Uh, maybe we'll... Right. Maybe, maybe we a little backstage. Maybe, maybe we can ask, ask Rory what he's got to say yeah. about it. Yeah. Welcome back to Cross Politic on the Fight Laugh Feast Network. Not so long ago, the American dream was alive and well. Employees who worked hard were rewarded, and employers looked for people who could do the job, mm. not for people who had the right political views. Redballoon.work is a job site designed to get us back to what made American businesses successful. Free speech, hard work, and having fun. If you're a free speech employer who wants to hire employees who focus on their work and not identity politics, then post a job on redballoon.work. Not difficult. If, if you're an employee who is being censored at work or is being forced to comply with the current zeitgeist, post your resume on redballoon.work and look for a new job. Redballoon.work, the job site where free speech is still alive. Redballoon.work. We are very grateful to have with us today Mr. Rory Groves. He's a former technology consultant and founder of multiple software businesses. Several years ago, he moved his family from the city to the country to begin the journey towards a more durable way of life. Rory mm. and his wife, Becca, now reside in southern Minnesota, where they farm, raise livestock, host workshops, and homeschool their five kids. He chose Minnesota? I don't know. We'll talk to him about that. He's author of <laughs> Durable Trades. Did you steal my book? You stole my book. Uh, yeah. A family-centered economies that have stood the test of time, and he's director of Gather and Grow, a nonprofit ministry dedicated to rebuilding the family economy. Rory, thanks for joining us on Cross Politic. It's great to be here, Toby. I appreciate the invite. Absolutely. You know, for Durable Trade, he's got a nonprofit. Those aren't durable. <laughs> we're going we're to talk about that later. Go uh, ahead. So, Roy, tell us, um, I mean, this is kind of a, a probably a standard question you get a lot of, but just um, why did you decide to write this book? Um, what was going on um, in our world, in your life, where you mm -hmm. said, well, hey, what am I doing? And maybe I should be doing something different. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty straightforward for me. We, uh, I've been a computer consultant and a software business owner for 20 years. And I hit the point in my career where now I had five kids. And by the way, we just added number six to the family this hey, past month. Congrats. So, yeah. Way to go. Thank you. And I started looking around saying, you know, everything that I've learned that I've spent 20 years building, it's just going obsolete. And every time that's just the nature of the industry with, mm. with software and with technology and a lot of consumerism that we live in today is just things constantly going obsolete. So I'm looking around saying, am I really building an inheritance for my children, let alone my children's children? Uh, is there anything I can do to put my hand to to build something that's going to last and not just going to evaporate in another 20 years or less or three years? Right. So I started asking some of these questions and we had moved out to a farm property about 10 years ago. And so this is all happening at the same time. And I'm looking around and I'm seeing, you know, century farms where they'd been passed down from generation to generation. And I just started to ask the question, well, maybe maybe there's still some options left for guys like me who want to build something that will last. And then more importantly, like, as I said, I had some kids in the mix now. Is there a way I can do this with my family rather than being separated from them for the majority of my life, the more, majority of my waking life at least i wonder you know got me reading through your book and um and and then now hearing a little bit about your your story it it almost seems a little retreatist 
what what you've kind of some of the moves you made, um, you know, in the city, and now you're out in the middle of Minnesota. Um, is is it retreatist? What you're doing is there a little bit of of that kind of mentality there, or, or um, you know, maybe comfort me a little bit, <laughs> and 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 what you know why what you're doing is is establishing things as opposed to retreating from from culture. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess you can you can look at it any way you want. We we didn't come out here with any particular agenda other than that we started got got into gardening and got more interested in self sufficiency. We mm-hmm. wanted to be doing more things for ourselves rather than being dependent on the system, on the grid, on um, the whole kind of consumer materialist mindset that's so typical in the city life. So, but it wasn't with any particular angst we came out to the country. We just really wanted to experience something different than what we had been doing up to this point. Both my wife and I grew up in the suburbs. We really had no hand in <laughs> any kind of farming. We started from scratch, and that's wow. what we tell people. If we can do it, you can do it. But we just started to learn little by little and seeing God's provision and seeing immense amount of blessing from this this concept of really working together, coming together as a family to work on projects. And that's what I start started to really um, uh, kind of catch me was I would leave, you know, we would spend a day uh, uh, maybe working with animals or putting uh, uh, potatoes in the ground or canning tomatoes or harvesting maple syrup from our trees and all mm-hmm. these things we were doing together as a family. And then I'd leave that to go to my, you know, quote unquote, real job where I would sit isolated in a little office for, you know, staring at a computer screen the rest of the day. And that, that to me, that dichotomy just, it started to, um, to leave me hollow. And I wanted to really mm. find some other thing that was both, like I say, durable in the book, but also family centered. To me, those were like, if I'm going to put my life towards something, that is what would be my priority. So well, go ahead. Uh, I was just gonna say, you start off the book talking about like brittle systems. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, what, what's brittle about our American economy and our way of doing business? Yeah, well, I mean, if, if you look at the way, and, and I spent a, a whole chapter on the Industrial Revolution, how that completely reoriented the way we view work, the way we view uh, production, consumption. I mean, production used to happen on every home farm by every family in America. Most of the production was for your own use. People made the things that they needed. And that is inherently a durable way and a sustainable way to live. As we moved out of the farm, into the city, into the factory, where we took uh, people and kind of broke the families apart and put them into industrialized production, we were very effective. And I say we, I mean, as a culture, we were very effective at making things more abundant. Like we produced a lot more stuff. But it came at the cost of breaking apart those relationships. And ultimately, when I get to in brittle systems is when you get to an extreme form of specialization where there's so much dependency on such a minute portion of the population, you have situations like we had with the pandemic where supply chains get stretched because there's an unanticipated uh, event and there's no redundancy built into the system. So you you kind of continue to build these um, very high towers, as Francis Schaeffer puts it, Men always build their towers so high they fall down. Right. <laughs> we build these very high towers on these very shaky foundations, of which is really the greed of the human heart, you know, the stability of man's ways over God's ways. And that is really what I'm re- evaluating going back 150, 200 years before the Industrial Revolution 
to say, hey, what were people doing? How are they living before we got in to this hyper-modern uh, consumerist culture we have today? I've got a question, but I don't want to interrupt. You haven't asked one yet, Knox. No, so I'm, I'm Gabe, looking. Gabe, you're a lot of questions, just I'm, so you know. You know yeah. First of all, I just want yeah. you to know the con the table of contents here is one of the weirdest table of contents I've ever seen before. <laughs> it just goes in, you know, like key findings, shepherd, farmer, midwife, gardener, woodworker, carpenter. Well, that's that's all the durable trades, I, I, I got that. But then he gets all the way down to 63, and it's a tax collector. And that's where you messed up, bro. <laughs> 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 we were doing so good. You could have kept going. You got a salt uh, a plasterer here. A baker, I don't know what what's the honorable mentions. What kind of trade is that? <laughs> so, so the books organized. So there's 61 trades, and here's what I here's what I did. I went back to 18, uh, 1790, right, the founding of our country, right, and which is considered roughly the kickoff to the industrial revolution. And I went and I looked at what were all the professions that were around mm. at the beginning of the industrial revolution, and are still around today. That was my cutoff. And so mm. I set these parameters and I started looking at all these historical trades that family still can work in today. And um, then I ranked them from one to 61. And the reason why you see tax collector in there is, hey, guess what? You know, it's a durable trade. It goes all the way back. But <laughs> for, it's for number, a tyrant. 61. <laughs> number 61 for a reason. It's yeah. at the bottom of the pile. I so go in there and read that. You know, you'll, you'll get my assessment of tax collector. So, so and this is interesting. <laughs> you, know, you don't have film. I didn't see filmmaker in here, right? No, yeah. no filmmaker. Got but, actor. but you got actor in here. That's why I want to get in there. So yep. why actor? What's the actor going to do with? Out a filmmaker <laughs> stage i mean that's what they used to do right and paul cited some of the stage stage hands in um uh in athens he he talked about some of the plays that were going on in scripture right. you can find it there's a there's a tradition there again not the most durable that's the bottom of the list but these are trades that were in existence before that so if you go to the top 20 those are the trades that uh i mm. spend the most time on dealing with in the book a lot of them have to do with food, fiber, shelter, and there's a lot of modern incarnations. So, for example, the former innkeeper of uh, you know yesteryear is today's Airbnb hospitality right. um, uh, breadwinner. So there's a lot of variations in the way the trades are practiced today, but at their core, they're good. still there. I'm looking for the poet. I don't see the poet in here. This is yeah, maybe maybe author. Oh, okay. I just, I'm just, look, where's the artist? It's just like, I, I'm looking for the feel where you change the yeah. culture at. So I, I think the trades like that you got in here, those are really good. It's foundational. But then there's something too, like how do you, especially if you want something like this to take on, you're going to have to communicate it in a way that convinces someone with beauty to jump into those trades, right? So like carpentry and, and a builder, um, seeing someone build something that was beautiful with their hands and crafting it was to me invigorating to have that and i could see their beauty from their hands and what they came together to build i was like man i want to be a man like that but it was the beauty of what they did that compelled me to take into those trades yeah well i mean artist is number 38 it's on the list oh okay woodworker <laughs> which you could say is more of a he uh, make the more of an 20. artistic approach to yeah. um than carpenter is i believe that's number and four, treasurer number treasurer i see it's 38 i didn't see the Carpenter. We'll talk about that in the backstage. Yeah. I'm just Roy, saying, pastor's Roy. number 27. <laughs> Have you seen their checks? They don't get paid very much. <laughs> uh, Rory, um, I'm just thinking a big picture. Biblically, um, the Bible starts in a garden, mm. and it ends in a city. It's a garden city. It's a city full of, of trees um, and so on, but it is a city. 
And it seems to me that there is something to that. There's a, there's a movement from agrarian culture to God building a, a city, a kingdom. Um, and, and I think there's a, I wonder mm. if you would, sort of how you would parse it. It seems to me like, um, I, I agree that there have been real, um, uh, there's been real trouble that's come from the industrial revolution. There's been some real problems that have come with it. At the same time, I also look back at the industrial revolution and I'm really grateful for it. Um, there, there's, you know, with mass production of food, yeah. um, you know, factories and so forth. Um, d- did we, did we not have safeguards on that in certain ways? And has that been destructive to the family? Yes. And, um, has it, um, you know, created a certain kind of statism and so on? Yes. Um, and at the same time, uh, I think it's also saved a lot of lives in that, you know, there's a lot of people who had more food than they would have had. Otherwise, um, we've been able to mass produce a lot of um, technological gifts. And yet testosterone has dropped. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, it, it's, it's, it's a, there's a mix of things, but, but it's like, I guess I think about a lot of it is um, uh, these, these are gifts, they're tools, and like all tools can be misused. Mm. Um, and so, you know, I, I'm thankful for this technology that allows us to speak and yet people misuse this technology all the time and sin with it massively. Uh, phones the same way, computers the same way, cars the same way, movies the same way. Um, what's your thoughts on that just generally? And, and like if, if, if the store, if the biblical arc is going from garden to garden city, um, it seems to me like the idea of families working together to build communities, to build cities that are, are not exactly like modern day New York City, but nevertheless our places where there's a hub of people should be our goal. I mean, that's what, I mean, a church is that at the center of a community. It's not that we want everybody doing everything. That's just not possible. We have to share resources. Um, and when you do that enough, you create a community, you create a city. Um, how does that fit into um, your vision? Well, I mean, I think there could probably be a lot of, this could be a whole show, but the, the Bible starting in a garden and ending in a city, not everybody's ending in that city. I mean, it's a city. Oh, well, you know, the so goats definitely not. <laughs> but it's so. But it's the that city. city that, it's the city where city all the nations, good. all the nations, bring their right. glory to that city. Right. So I mean, it. I don't know that you can you can transpose that. It's the goal is to move out of the garden into a city. I mean, the city is going to need a massive amount of people supporting what happens in the city because if they're not able to grow their own food in the city it's got to come from somewhere sure which is exactly what happens in all the modern cities now we have over i think in america i think it's over 80 percent of the population lives in urban areas mm-hmm. so um whereas that used to be reversed not that long ago i mean maybe maybe about 100 years ago that was reversed maybe 120 years ago mm. um so i mean i think there can be some different interpretations about the city and the garden in the bible but there's something that's very real is that god put man in the garden to tend and keep it and there's a built-in connection between man and stewardship of creation that you become detached from i don't think it's an accident that as man industrialized, you see a coinciding rise of atheism. Because when you're actually in nature, connected to it, seeing the miraculous, seeing it declare the glory of God day after day after day, it's very hard to deny a creator when you're in the middle of it. However, if you're in a concrete jungle and you don't see it and your food comes from a store or it comes from you know, a supermarket um, uh, and everything that you need is provided from a factory, you don't see the handiwork of God quite as in the, uh, intrinsically as you do in creation. So, like I said, this is a longer topic, but I think that um, the Industrial Revolution 
for the good that it brought and the different things that it brought to bear in this, like in modern medicine, you know, we used right. to have really abysmal uh, infant mortality rates until modern medicine came around. However, a lot of what people are measuring when you look at these things is material abundance. And what the industrial revolution really destroyed was the relational abundance. Our forebears had a deeper sense of community and relationship both within their families and without than we can hardly relate to. And because they had to, they, it took a community to survive. So we are able to live more isolated today than we have ever been in human history. That was not an option before the industrial revolution. People had to work together and depend on each other. And so when I think about these things in general, I think about is the goal to have more stuff or is the goal to have deeper relationships? And for me, the relationships are what's eternal. I say, yes. I want to say yes to both of those. Uh, <laughs> Roy Groves, Durable Trades. Your book is available. Yeah, you can come to uh, our website is gatherandgrow.us or you can find the book anywhere books are sold. Gatherandgrow.us. Bro, you do a podcast or a show or anything like that? Uh, we do a quarterly newsletter. It's free. We we mail it out old school style. And, and, okay. Uh, we talk he, about. He actually hand carries it to every yeah. house. Yeah. He signs up. That's a durable trade. Stay there, Roy. Right. If you're still gonna get married, if you're married, have you some kids? If you have kids, go baptize them until tomorrow. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Go fight, laugh, and feast. This is cross politics. We're gonna keep talking. Yeah, yeah we're gonna yeah. keep talking. Okay. Right, we're, gonna, we're going into the club. I got all sorts of questions now. Hey. Meet Big Ed. He has a tax-funded taste for children. Big Ed knows that the best grooming starts early. He has a plan for your preschoolers, a plan to gender-confuse your grade schoolers. But if you think his grooming stops there, you have not been paying attention. Big Ed wants to liberate your daughters from old-fashioned ideas like, well, you already know. Big Ed has dorm rooms ready for you in prison buildings of learning and professors standing by dedicated to grooming young adults in doubt and unbelief. After all, he is the gatekeeper of this brave new world. And if you want a job, you'll need to pay him with years of your life for a permission slip. Yeah, whatever. You think David paid Goliath for a certificate in giant management before those two squared off? Did Luther major in theses? Was George Washington summa cum laude in empire repellents, while Jefferson focused on ag with a minor in declarations? When the world needs saving, meaningful vocations abound for those who are truly prepared. And the truth is, despite Marxist advances, this is still America and Big Ed is still a voluntary opt-in. So don't. Not at any level. Not preschool, not middle school, not college. It isn't complicated. When Big Ed offers you free candy, stay away. You'll thank us later. We know it's crazy, but run with us here. Men and women were created in the image of God. You don't need a government certificate of faux learning for personal validation or permission to work. You were born with divine permission to pursue knowledge and understanding, truth, goodness, and beauty. And at New St. Andrews College, we are committed to helping students do just that to their fullest potential. In an age dominated by chaos when learning is on a choke leash controlled by Big Ed and his many strange friends, ours is an education for outlaws, an education for men and women committed to building a beautiful and free society in the ruins of the Western world. 
When thinking is outlawed, only outlaws will think. Yes, Big Ed hates what we do, but his hatred brings us joy. New St. Andrews College. Liberal Arts for Outlaws. Mind, body, and soul.